Let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. How many come to have church this morning? How many come to have a good time? How many had a rough week? We've all had a rough week. So now's your opportunity to shake off those heavy bands. Amen. And let God take them and just give Him all you've got. Are we going to have church? You going to have church with me? Like Brother Dick says, I'm going to get mine. You going to get yours? Because if you don't get yours, I may take yours too. Amen. Let's sing this together now. Let's just have a good time. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, let's shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, let's sing it to Him now. Oh, come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, shake off those heavy bands. And those holy hands let all God's people praise the Lord let's sing it one more time now oh come on praise the Lord praise the Lord let all God's people praise the Lord oh shake off Lift up those holy hands Let all God's people praise the Lord Alright I can run through a troop And leap over a wall Hallelujah Oh, hallelujah, He is my rock and my shield, He gives power to all, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, oh, now I am free from condemnation, Jesus is the rock of my salvation, I can run through a truth and leap over a wall, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, oh, I can run through a truth and leap over a wall, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, He is my rock and my shield, He gives power to all, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, oh, now I am free from 
is the rock of my salvation. I can run through and through and leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, sing it now. Oh, I can run through and through and leap over. He gives power to oh hallelujah oh hallelujah oh now I am free from condemnation Jesus is the rock of my salvation I can run through and through and leap over a wall you're free from condemnation amen when all you hear is the lie of the devil when he's standing on your shoulder whispering to you and you can tell him that's a lie you're free from that condemnation amen give the lord a hand clap of praise let's sing this old song here when we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Amen. Are you looking forward to it? Oh, sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions, bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. Oh, and we all get to What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Oh, while we walk the pilgrim pathway Clouds will overspread the sky But when traveling Days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Oh, and we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Where we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout victory. Every day, just one glimpse of healing glory, will the toes of life pay? Oh, and we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, where we all see Jesus, we'll sing. And shout the victory So onward to the prize before us Soon His beauty will behold Soon the pearly gates will open We shall tread the streets of gold 
Let's sing it one more time now. You got any mountains that you cannot tunnel through? How many's got some of those? But you know what? God specializes in things thought impossible. any rivers you think of uncrossable God any mountain you cannot tunnel through oh my my God Specializes in things thought impossible, and he will do what no other power can do, and he will do. softly brother Matt that's a big statement right there at the end but it is 1000% truth whatever your need may be this morning saints and I know as we get closer to the end of time those needs they seem to get greater and greater and it just gets more pressing more of a squeeze just getting up and getting out of bed sometimes seems like it's almost impossible but God specializes and He knows. Amen. I know we got many needs among us here this morning. We want to, uh, this is from Sister Chanel. 
says to please pray for my aunt. Her son is on life support, and she has to make a decision to take him off. Please pray for Aunt Sherry. She really needs a touch from the Lord. I sure miss seeing Sister Sherry, so we want to remember that in uh, prayer. Also, uh, Sister Mary Smith had a bone scan Thursday. They're awaiting the results on that. She's still hurting with the fibromyalgia, so let's keep her and Brother Smith in her prayers also. Also, we want to remember that uh, the, the sister from Brother Mike Walls' church, Sister Solis, that's uh, had the stroke, I think it was, while she was uh, having their child. And come to find out, she had a, a brain tumor, and she is uh, not doing well. And they are uh, requesting an urgent prayer request for her this morning we just want to remember that need also we want to continue to remember uh, brother Burley uh, in prayer as he's uh, recovering from his uh, injury that he had we want to uh, remember uh, sister Amber calls not with us today and sister Karen Buchanan who's uh, not with us not feeling well and we want to remember brother Barry as he's in the meetings down in uh, South Carolina and that uh, God will just be with them in those meetings and Give them safe traveling mercies back home. Amen. I know there's many unspoken needs among us this morning. Amen. Brother Chris, would you come take these needs to the Lord in prayer for us this morning? Amen. Remember to pray for each other, saints. We certainly need it. We need each other now more than ever. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity to come to your house, Lord, to worship you. Can't help but think of that song, Won't It Be Wonderful There, Lord, when we can lay down our shields and our armor and all the fiery darts of the devil will be quenched. Lord, we've heard the prayer requests and those that are sick in body and Lord, all the unspoken prayer requests that have been raised here today. Pray that you would be with each one of them, Lord. Lord, be with those that need healing and those that need a, just any sort of a touch, Father. Pray that you'd be with our pastor as he's away. Pray that you'd be a help. Pray that you'd be with the minister here this morning, Father. Speak to our hearts. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Just give her, give us a greater understanding of your word this morning, Father. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Uh, I put Brother Matt on the spot this morning. He's going to give us a special. I get pretty good at putting people on the spot. So those of you that sing... You better be ready. I like to put you on the spot. A uh, couple of announcements here. Um, we got a youth meeting today at 3.30 for the uh, youth ages 13 and up. So that will be here at 3.30. Uh, also, August 20th, there's going to be a youth meeting, but there will be more information to come on that. So um, keep your ears to the ground and look for that information that's going to be coming on that uh for August the 20th, and also a reminder that next Sunday there will be two services. We're going to have one at 11 a.m. and then again at 4 p.m., so mark your calendars for that. God bless you, Brother Matt. Praise the Lord. There we go. I know you all know this, and I'm 
I'm singing this by request so that the days of miracles truly are not past, but I know you all know it, so sing along with me. Of the Lord is in this. 
place I can feel His mighty power and His grace I can feel the brush of angels' wings I see glory on each face Surely the presence of the Lord is in Let's all stand and sing it now Oh, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place I can feel His grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in. Well, let's just sing it as the ushers come forward. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. Oh, I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And Brother John, if you would bless the offering. song as Brother Rap gets ready to come. Uh, and I just drew a blank on it. Have your way. We've come in and we've worshipped the Lord. We've brought our praises to Him. Brother Rap has studied and sought the will of the Lord. And I believe we're ready. Just let Him have His way with you this morning. Let him minister to your needs that you brought here. Amen. Let's sing this as Brother Rep comes. Have your way. Have your way. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your Speak. 
into our hearts and have your way. Oh, have your way. Oh, Spirit, fill our hearts and have situation, O oh God, that you would work a miracle that's all that we can look to now, Lord. I pray you give her husband, Brother Michael, strength also, Father. Lord, the church, Brother Mike Walls, the pastor, Father, be with them, we pray, Lord. Just continue to bless Brother Burley, Lord, strengthen him, we pray, and do a work of healing in him, we also ask. And Lord, we just ask that you would, Lord, work in each one of our hearts, Father, whether questions we might have, Lord, of encouragement, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would move each one of us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you all. Perhaps uh, while we're still standing, we could turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. I want to say it's uh, real glad to be able to, to be here again. I thank uh, Brother Barry for, for asking me to, to come. I uh, was a little nervous when I uh, booked my flight. They, they seemed to have eliminated the afternoon flight I took last time. It worked so nicely, and I, I took the last flight of the day. I was supposed to leave at 8, 10 in the evening. I thought, my, that's the last flight, so if something doesn't work out, they're kind of high and dry at that point. But uh, the flight got delayed, I guess, probably because of the weather going on here. And We left at 8 and 9 o'clock and got here late last night, but uh, we're here. And uh, by God's grace, this morning I want to take a, uh, take a topic um, looking at, uh, at complexes, and uh, we all have them, we're all born with them, we tend to develop them as we go through life, and hopefully we can shed some as we go through it by God's grace also. I just want to look at them as being, they're little lies that can bind in big ways. So complexes, little lies that bind in big ways. And we'll take a look at, at the life of Abraham and, uh, and Sarah here, starting in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from my father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And perhaps you can just keep your, uh, keep your finger there in Genesis chapter 12. And I want to take a look then also in uh, John chapter 8. We're going to take a look this morning. Um, God can give us a promise. He gave Abraham and Sarah a promise. But it took, 
It took, I think Abraham was 75 years old when he received that promise and took that step of faith, leaving uh, Ur of the Chaldees and going on to Haran, just walk, this walk of faith. He was 75 years old when he started, and he was going to have to, he didn't know it then, it was going to be a 25-year-long walk of faith. And when we go through, um, we, we, when we take our initial first step of faith and start walking with the Lord, it's probably good that we don't know ahead of time all the things that we're going to have to encounter and go through along the way because we might not have taken that step at the beginning if we'd known. Um, and as we go along the way, we, can, we have disappointments, we have discouragement, all kinds of things can happen. Um, and this one, that John chapter 8 reminds us here um, how we can be continued to walk in freedom. Um, then Jesus said to those Jews, this is verse 31, and I thought it was nice. I grabbed a pen in Brother Barry's office, and I guess your, the theme verse for Hickory Bible Tabernacle is John 8, 31 and 32. I was on the pen there. So that Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's what I want to emphasize. It's the truth that will make us free. It's not our ideas of what's going on, our interpretations of what's going on, our explanations of the things that have gone wrong in their life. Those don't make us free. But it's the truth that makes us free. So I ask the Lord to add his blessing to his word today. You may be seated. I want to take a look at uh, complexes, just kind of thinking about them. What, 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 what are they? And I kind of thought the complexes are kind of like Satan's attempts, perhaps, to convince us that we should draw conclusions about, about people in our lives or about the circumstances that we go through, or perhaps even drawing conclusions about ourselves, that um, even though our conclusions, our explanations might be very believable, they're nonetheless false. But we go ahead and espouse these things, and we, and we draw these conclusions, and... Um, and we go on to life with them, and we gradually, as we accept them, we build a world around us, a view of the world around us, on the basis of these false views. And as we do that, we're gradually, brick by brick, building a wall around ourselves. Because we're, we're, this is our view of the world, this is why things have happened to us, this is why people have treated us this particular way. And as we, as we jump to these conclusions, things we're just building a wall around ourselves and uh, we, we gradually separate ourselves from one person at a time and we will eventually come to a place if we keep holding on to this false view of things it's a, that's a lie and the devil's the father of lies and he likes to plant those little lies in our minds and the complex is a little lie that can bind in a big way the devil convinces us then to build this wall around ourselves and we'll gradually start separating from people Complexes will bring separations in relationships and gradually separate from one more and more and more people. And we'll only let somebody into our little circle if they're willing to accept also our view of the world around us. Otherwise, we're going to keep everybody at arm's length. So it's really by feeding on the complex and, and, and building it and encouraging it, we're actually building a prison for ourselves that we actually come to prefer to the truth about ourselves and situations in, in our lives. And building complexes, that's a very normal thing to do. Brother Branham says we all do it. Um, 
but it's, our, it's not our explanations or our interpretations of reality that set us free. It's only the truth that sets us free. And um, unfortunately, uh, um, drawing conclusions, jumping to conclusions, I mean, we all do. And if, we, uh, if that were a, a legitimate form of exercise, we wouldn't need Weight Watchers or uh, exercise uh, facilities or anything like that because everybody is really good at uh, jumping to conclusions, flying off the handle, carrying things too far, dodging responsibility, pushing our luck. These are all popular forms of exercise. Would They were legitimate forms of exercise, but we all do it. And then we, stre- we can strengthen those, uh, those wrong thoughts and that can build into complexes. I want to take a look then at, at Abraham. He and Sarah get this promise. They've been married for I don't know how long, years perhaps, and um, they still have not had a child. They're 75 years old when they get this promise. And they've probably put this off. We'll never, we're, we're never going to have a baby shower. Not, this isn't going to happen to us. This isn't, this isn't what, God, uh, what God is... Uh, God has for us. And you know, Sarah perhaps actually come to this point where she is gradually able to accept it. Now she gets this promise and it opens, opens that, 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 that hurt that was in her heart that she'd kind of sealed over over the years, tried not to think about it anymore. And now God gives a promise. So her heart opens up and there's hope. And just think about how every, every month after a while, what is the expectation that we get when God speaks a promise over to us? We have an expectation that God's going to work fast. We, we want it on in our time. And Sarah probably had this expectation every month. She and Abraham going on and nope, still no baby, still no baby. These months go into years, years, years. And after a while, Sarah thought, at 75 years old, I had kind of come to a peace about not having a child. And then God raised my hope and there's nothing. And every month, I'm going to go around and around and around. And it's so painful. And you know, there are lots of different kinds of pain. And psychologists have, have, have studied pain. And they've actually said that even worse than physical pain, and physical pain can be very, very bad. I'm a, I, I'm a chicken when it comes to physical pain. But emotional pain can be even worse. It can be that, 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 that stab to the heart. And maybe you have no physical pain at that moment, but that, that emotional pain to your heart when you're reminded that that which was... That, was, that, that which was promised has been given or, or somebody looks at you a particular way and it just reminds you, flashes back of how you've been hurt in the past and all those old hurts just awaken. Now, the emotional pain is very, very strong. I can just imagine that Sarah, after months and years now, after had had this promise, she's living with this emotional pain. And how does she deal with that? How does she deal with this in her thoughts? And you can look at, uh, and Abram would have had the same thing, because, you know, and uh, they're 75 years old and continue on in Genesis 12. They, they, uh, they follow God's promises, and they, they keep on following God's leadership, and then they go, into, uh, they go to, and, into Canaan, and they go down to Bethel, and Abram just keeps journeying, and then there's a famine, and then he goes down in the, into chapter 12. He goes down with, uh, with Sarah into Egypt. And they're there in Egypt for a while, and we're going to focus on later in our story in chapter 16. In chapter 16, it talks about this Egyptian maid that they had. His name was Hagar. And perhaps they picked up this Egyptian maid, this, this young slave girl, there in Genesis chapter 12 when they were traveling through Egypt. Quite possible. And uh, perhaps, Sarah, I can imagine that uh, Hagar was probably a, a pleasant, uh, 
pleasant female companion there to have in the house, and this young girl and this older lady perhaps uh, um, built some kind of a, of a friendship. I don't know how that actually went. But um, Genesis 15, Abraham is, uh, has, a, has a meeting with God again, and God promises him again, I am your shield, I am your exceeding great reward. You're going to have a child. You're going to have your, your, your seed is going to be like the stars of the heaven, the sands of the sea. This is your, your, your promise. But if we look at chapter 16, we can see that uh, Sarah has been struggling for a long time, and she's handling this. She's having a hard time handling. We'll just keep it that way. In Genesis chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. In these first couple verses of chapter 16, we're going to see a couple very factual statements. There's nothing inaccurate about that first sentence in chapter 16. Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. The devil's very good showing you certain factual statements and there's nothing completely wrong with what he's saying. And I can imagine Abraham and Sarah that they're going through their family devotions in the evening and they're reading the Bible together. Well, they don't have the Bible, but they're going over to rehearsing the promises. And Sarah is probably, she's dreading this time of the evening because she doesn't want to hear about God's promise again because it just awakens everything. I'm tired of it, Abraham. I don't want to hear it anymore. All she can see is God promised it, but I bear no children. And that is what she starts clinging to even more than the promise of God. So she bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. If you look at the end of the chapter, um, this is 11 years after God gave the promise. Hagar gives birth to uh, Ishmael when Abraham is um, 86, according to verse 16 there. So it's gone, this has gone for 11 years. That's a long time to be waiting and waiting and waiting. I can remember when, uh, after my wife and I got married, uh, we had this expectation we'll be having children quickly, and it, uh, it took a little bit longer. And we didn't, uh, we didn't have Job until it was over, o- over two years out. And that for us was a, was a, seemed like a really long time. And I can remember we'd, we'd, we'd prayed, and we actually uh, bought a house, and... Uh, we were getting ready to, to clean out our apartment and things. And um, when we, had, we were praying whether to buy the house or not, um, I had, we, we read our Bible together. There was a certain scripture in, in Psalms that said that um, how the Lord had, had um, I didn't have this in my notes, how the, Lord, uh, how, how, how the sparrow builds her house a place to, uh, to raise her young. And we just read that. And then after that, the, the realtor called, say, hey, your bid's accepted, ready to go for it. Said, okay, great. The sparrow's going to build her house in Sweetie. This is also the promise. God's given us a house, a place to bear her young. I believe we're going to be having that. It's going to, it's going to happen. But you know what? It didn't happen right away. We were, we were in, uh, visiting some, a friend over in Rotterdam. And we, were, we parked the car on the street and started walking to her house. And um, as we walked by, um, people had left their trash on the street to, uh, not on the street, but there on the side of the road to get, get picked up. And I'm not behind. If I see a good deal on the side of the road, I'm not behind picking it up. And uh, there was this nice, really, really cute little uh, tricycle, little baby tricycle. I thought, man, they're throwing this away. I said, honey, let's, let's grab it. She, she fell in love with it. So yeah, we went ahead and grabbed it, stuck it in our car, saved it from the dumpster. And um, that's what we did. 
And for me, for us, it was kind of like a, I, we were just full of this promise that we're going to be having a house, a place where we can bear, have our children. And here we've got this little, little tricycle. But you know what? Months passed. Months passed. As we get ready to move, we're clearing out the uh, the um, little storage room in the in the uh, in the cellar area there. And there's this tricycle. We've had it there for a really long time. What are we going to do with it? And she just says, throw it away. Throw it away. And it's, we're getting ready to do that. But I said, no, I can't do that. Because for, it, was, it was like a symbol. It wasn't just a tricycle anymore. It was a symbol that God was going to provide for us. And I was walking out there ready to throw it away. But then I ah, turned back and said, no, we, we kept that thing. And later on, by God's grace, our son rode on that tricycle. But you can see how, how in your mind... You, you, God gives you encouragements, encouragements, but then the devil can remind you, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And he's right. It hasn't happened yet. But he leaves his story there, and then just that's just a leading comment, and then you start asking the question, why hasn't it happened yet? Why? And those why questions can be really dangerous questions. Because a why question is almost loaded with accusation of guilt. But we ask a why question of God. God, why aren't you doing this? And it's almost, it's weaponizing all those, those, the worst thoughts inside of us. And we're starting to point it at God. And we're making God then our enemy instead of our friend who's going to help us and provide his promises. And we see this actually happening with Sarai, she, um, Abraham, I can imagine they're getting ready to have their, their, uh, their family devotion that evening. And this time, Sarai breaks in before Abraham can get started. And we see verse 2, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now. And she's not just saying this as a suggestion. Behold now. If your wife tells you, behold now. She's got something she wants to show you. This is exhibit A. And usually when my wife says, behold now, she wants to show me something on Instagram that she's already got this, this new idea for the, the house, this or that. And she's got it all planned out, every single thing. She, she's been dwelling upon this for such a long, long time. And she shows to me, I'm like, I get whiplash. Like, whoa, where is this coming from? Well, because she's in one particular place in her thoughts, and I'm not there. So she says, behold, look, I've got the whole picture. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share this with you. You're going to think it's fantastic. So Sarah says, behold now. She's been meditating upon something. And this isn't just a thought that she thought of just the other day. This has been something she's been thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. She says, hey, she's not saying, Abram, what do you think about this? No, she's presenting this as the solution. This is what we need to do. She says, Abram, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. It's interesting that first sentence of verse 2 takes the fact in verse 1 and makes it even stronger with an interpretation. The fact in verse 1 is Abram, sorry, Sarah bare no children. They hadn't happened. That, 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 that is a factual statement. But because she's thinking and thinking and feeding on this, and why, 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 now she says the same fact, but she says it a different way and becomes a weapon. The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. When we start feeding on the wrong thoughts and they become part of us, 
they're going to affect what we actually see, what we believe, what we, what we speak. It affects our entire view of the world. And Sarai, she'd been, cha- she'd been, she'd been through this little complex that she'd built up. The, the Satan says, but you're not bearing any children yet, Sarai. Didn't God promise you'd be bearing children? Both are factual statements. The devil is keeping to the facts. Why aren't you bearing any children? He just leaves it right there. Why am I not bearing any children? God promised it. God is the source of life. And if I'm not having any children, he promises, then he must be keeping me from it. Why would God be? You can see how he just keeps going. And now she says, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. That's a really strong, strong statement. God's restrained me from bearing. I pray thee. And again, when your wife says, I pray thee, I, 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 I beseech you do this, it's pretty strong. That's what happened to me when we got our first dog. My wife led my son into my office, his little one-year-old boy, and they fall on their knees. She says, Job wants to ask you a question, Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they beseeched me, can we please get a dog? And yeah, and uh, yeah, we got the dog. And I finally realized after that, why did all the Persian kings say to their wives, I, would give, I will give you half of my kingdom because I think they were hoping they could keep the other half for themselves. That's my, that's my guess, but um, just a hunch. But she says, I pray thee. This is a really strong, um, strong, strong request. I pray thee, go to my, go into my maid, Hagar, and maybe I will obtain children by her. She's been thinking about this so much that she sees no other solution. All she sees is the problem. She does not see the promise of God at all. So we just want to remind ourselves, when we're in the trial, the devil likes us to get, likes to get us to ask the why question. Why is a dangerous question to ask. Don't ask why, Lord, but ask what, Lord? What, Lord, do you want me to learn through this? What, 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 what are you doing, Lord? Because God is doing something. When we ask the why question, it is basically saying God's not doing anything. Why aren't you doing anything? But God, God never stops working. God is doing something. Help me, Lord, to see what you're doing so that I can align myself with what you're doing. That's what, that, 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 that's what we should be doing. It's not easy, but that's what we should. And what Sarah's done here She's attempting to interpret her trial because she doesn't understand why her life is going the way it's going. And when we have lots of unknowns lying around, both men and women, we don't like unknowns. Unknowns make us unsettled, make us, un- make us un- uncomfortable. We want to know what's going on, why is it going on this way, what can I do differently? I want to know. Almost like even if you get if, if if you're sick and you don't know what's going on, even if you were, the doctor tells you that what, what what you're sick with, a diagnosis can even be better than an unknown sometimes because you just want to want to know. And when we attempt, like Sarah, to interpret our trials so we can at least get our ducks lined up in a row that's coherent in some way to us, if that's not and, 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 and when we can get an explanation that makes sense to us, it gives us a bit of peace. But if it's not the right explanation, if it's not the right interpretation of the trials, that peace won't last because it's not our interpretation of a trial that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. 
And that's why, I wanted, that's why I started with that scripture. It's the truth that sets us free. The devil gives us explanations for why bad things happen in our lives, all these different things. But those little explanations that he puts in our minds, those are the little lies that can grow up to bind us in big ways. But only God's truth will set us free. There's a, um, there's a psychologist named Albert Ellis that uh, developed a, a theory about emotions. Like where do emotions come from? How do, how do, how, and how do they work? And that's probably a question, how emotions work, that will probably never be completely answered. But he had, um, he had a theory called the, the ABC theory. You can have a particular event that's a, that is a, an, an adverse event. It's, it's, ad, it's, ad, it's adversity, a difficult time. You have the event... When we look back, you can say, this particular thing happened to me, and that's why I am the way I am today. So you've got A, and you have C is the consequence. And when we look back, we tend to think that you can jump from A directly to C. That's not the case, though, because we learn in kindergarten, it's A, B, C. And B is our belief about it. And he actually showed that it is not... It is the belief that we adopt about the events in our lives, those beliefs have a greater power over the, the, uh, the, the future consequence and the emotions we have about it than the actual event itself. So you don't just jump from A, from the, from the adversity to the consequence. The belief you take about it is, is even more important. For example, you can have um, an adverse event you, uh, you tried out for choir and didn't get selected. And the consequence, you, uh, you never go on to develop a musical career ever. Why is that? Not because you got kicked out of the choir, because you didn't get accepted, but bec- it's because you left the choir thinking, oh, I've got a terrible voice and I'll never be any good. It's the belief that was more important to the consequence than the actual event. And, I, and you can think about the adverse event for... Uh, Abraham and Sarah not having children. That was the event, that, that, that's the adversity that they had. But it was the belief that they, the thoughts they had about it, the beliefs that they adopted about it, that determined the, the, the emotions they had about it, how painful the event was, and that led to the actual consequence. I was thinking about this, and you can remember uh, in Brother Branham's life story. Talk about somebody who had adversity. He tells about how his, uh, how his wife died. I think, he, I think he's probably just 25 years old. His wife passes away. Um, and then his young daughter, Sharon, uh, uh, Billy Paul is sick in the hospital. Sharon Rose is also sick. And Brother, and Brother Branham goes after his wife's passed away. I think Billy is uh, with his grandma. And Brother Branham goes to the hospital to try to visit, to uh, see little, little Sharon Rose and the doctor, Sam Adair, meets him in the hallway and says, Bill, you can't go down there. She's just too sick, and she's, uh, I think it could be uh, contagious. I'm not, I don't remember the details. They said, You're, you look terrible yourself. Let me, I'll send a nurse to give you something to kind of help, uh, help uh, um, soothe you some. And the nurse came and gave him some kind of um, um, some medicine. He just put it off to the side. The nurse left, and he went down into the cellar of the hospital where little Sharon Rose was, just two years old, I think she was, with a... Um, and this mosquito netting over and just uh, this terrible, terrible condition. 
And when Brother Branham described, he says, this was the most trying, this is the greatest temptation of my life. And as he's thinking about this, this is, this, is the, this is the adversity he's going through. And then he says, the devil came at that point. And he says, what kind of God is this? Just recently, your, your wife's passed away, and you were praying for her and holding her hand in your arms, praying for her. And then before that, your, your father passed away, and you've been praying for him. And then um, while you were preaching a couple of weeks ago, your other brother passed away in your other brother's arms. What kind of God would do this? And the devil is just saying, you preached healing? Why isn't God healing? You preach that God loves you? God's not even listening to you. God doesn't care about you. And you can see Brother Brandt at the point then, he's got the adverse event. It's the belief that he takes about it that determines the consequence. Not the adverse event. It's the belief. Because he, if, he if he had accepted the thought of the devil, God doesn't care about me. I know, I know God's there, but he's my enemy. He's restraining. He, he, he's, he's keeping life away from me. And he would never have served him again, never gone and minister at all. How would the world have been different? But it wasn't the event that would determine the consequence. It was the thought he accepted and the belief he took on about it. But he took on the... He said that there is something deep within that says, No, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord even then. And it was that belief that a greater power, it was the, that was the truth that set him free from all the power of that adverse situation. So it's the, it's the beliefs that we take and espouse and follow that have a greater impact upon the emotional pain that we can have and later even upon the consequences. And here, this is the battle that Abraham and Sarah are facing. The battle is in their mind. They've got the adversity. What, where are they going to put their belief? What are they going to put their faith toward? Because unbelief is also a form of faith. It's just we're not going to accept it. Which way are we going to put it? And they've been, and Sarah especially, has been struggling with this, and she's been t- having the wrong beliefs. And she starts out with perhaps just a little thought: God's not, God's uh, not fulfilling His word to you. Why? But it just is like a snowball; it keeps going, 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 and building, and building, and building. Before long, that's all that she can see. And her conclusion appears self-evident to her. She says to Abram. She doesn't say, Abraham, what do you think about this idea? No, she says, behold now, God has restrained me from bearing. And her conclusion is equally self-evident to her. The only way to solve this problem, take my servant girl, and maybe God will provide um, for his promise through her. So her false beliefs, the conclusions that she had drawn about her situation, actually came to cloud her vision so much that she could no longer see the promises of God. She couldn't see how God had guided them through Ur of the Chaldees, to Haran, to Bethel, to to into Egypt, brought them out. She'd forgotten all of that. All she could see was her conclusion. And I think she's just grown gradually accustomed to seeing her circumstances in this particular way, and that was all that she could see. And her conclusion gave no room for God to fulfill his promise anymore. Oh, he had the room, but in, in her thoughts, there was no room for God to work anymore. So even though we don't like unknowns in our lives, unknowns leave room for God to work. 
But when we draw a conclusion and put a period at the end of it, then we better be careful. Have, have we left room for God to work in there? So like, yeah. the, the divine question marks in our lives are better than the mortal periods because divine question marks still leave room for God to operate. And uh, Sari's solution uh, probably strikes us today as rather highly unusual. I mean, there's not very many. We, we wouldn't think of the solution that she offers. Uh, take my servant girl, and maybe God will, God will fulfill his word through her. And here you can see that Sari, this, this is unusual to us, but in that time that was not unusual at all. It was, uh, um, the, you could look at Abraham, um, uh, Jacob, uh, with, uh, Rachel and Leah. They would have their, their servant girls, uh, Bilhah, and forget the other one's name. But the, the, the children born by the servant girl were also accounted to her. This was, this was a normal thing in that time period. But you can see that Sarah, when she can't, can't see God fulfilling his word, she's going to see how is the culture solving this problem. And she's going to see how the culture solves the problem, and that's the solution that she adopts also, instead of continuing to, to lean upon the Lord. What you also want to see about this is how our complexes that we develop, they affect not just ourselves, but they affect all of a, the whole family around us, everyone around us are affected by the complexes that we can build. They, they wear at us. And I can imagine Abraham and Sarah, this was probably not the first time that Abraham and Sarah had talked about, why isn't God fulfilling his promise here? This is probably not the first time that Sarah had, had test-driven these ideas. And I can imagine that this gradually wears at Abraham. Do we have to talk about this again? We talked about this already. Why do we keep having to go back around? He's just, at a certain point, he gets tired. He gets worn down. He gets tired of, 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 of fighting about it. I don't know if they're fighting about it, but engaging about it. He's just worn out. And in this story, you don't see anything of the... Of the, of the Abraham who steps out in bold faith and follows God's plan, what you see in this story is Abraham turning passive. His, Sarah throws out this idea, behold now this is the idea, and Abraham says, sure, go for it. I'm done talking about this. Go for it. Let's just give it a shot. He's done. He's not, he's not taking the lead anymore. He's now giving the lead over to Sarah, and... Um, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't work out so well. And it can be difficult having to continually talk about the same thing sometimes. But it's better to engage the questions, whether your kids come with questions, whether your husband or wife comes with, with a thought. It's better to engage that and bring it back to the and bring, bring it back to what the Word says and just be warned down. says, do what you want. Because when we say, just do what you want, we've turned passive and we're not engaging anymore. We're not able to bring it back. What does the word think about it? Abraham doesn't, doesn't engage with it anymore. He just basically acquiesces and accepts his wife's false interpretation of their, uh, of their trial. I mean, he could have gone back to Sarah, I understand how difficult it is. It's difficult for me too. But remember, what has God done for us? Remember. It, the devil doesn't want us to remember What's the most frequently told Bible story in the Old Testament? It's the one about how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. It's told again and again and again and again. Why? 
so they could remember that they were God's chosen people, that God had done this and this and this and this. But when we get in the trial, the devil just wears us down again and again and again, and we don't remember anymore. God hasn't done anything for me. Maybe that the experience that God had at that camp, maybe that was just, maybe that wasn't anything at all anyway. We can get to that point. Go back and remember. In, if, if, if the devil's tempting you with so this false interpretation that God doesn't care, go back and see how God does, has shown care throughout your life. You have to do that because that is a, that's your anchor. So Abraham turns passive, and we'll see actually in the, the later part of the story, he continues to do that. And we see then now um, Abraham and Sarah are now going to make their own attempt to fulfill God's promise for God. They're going to, uh, and whenever we attempt to help God fulfill his promises, that just creates problems. And we see that certainly here um, with Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And I just imagine with uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah and Hagar, um, they probably, Hagar probably joined their family when they were in Egypt. And that was... Some years pass, and she's gradually become a part of the family, perhaps, almost. But all of a sudden, once Hagar conceives and has a, is, is pregnant, this relationship between Hagar and Sarah is spoiled. It's not, it's, 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 there's no warmth there anymore. And it's not just Abraham and Sarah who have the complexes. Hagar also uh, gains one. So verse 3, And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And he gave to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now this complex has jumped from one to the other. And Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. It's your fault that we got into this big mess. And in a way, she's right, because Abram is responsible. He acquiesced. He, he, uh, he, he, he went passive and agreed to do it. He, he, so he could have stood up and engaged and, and, and remembered, let's go through the story again, how God called us. He's taken care of us, all these different things. He, but he didn't do that. He was tired of doing it. So, yes, he bears responsibility there. But um, um, when um, John Wesley, when, when he writes about uh, Genesis 16, he says, um, when passion is upon the throne, when someone's mad, reason is out of doors and is neither heard nor spoken. And uh, Sarah had forgotten about how the situation got started also. And, his, and, and Wesley writes, that those are not always in the right that are most forward in appealing to God. Rash and bold imprecations are commonly evidences of guilt and bad cause. So when Sarah is jumping to say, the Lord judge between me and the West says, when people are leaping to say, God is my judge, kind of like Shakespeare said, methinks thou dost protest too much. You've got some finger pointing back at yourself here. But um, this just keeps growing. And this, this, this tent has been a very peaceful tent. It's, it's not becoming so peaceful Anymore, The blame game starts going at full speed. 
And it's just very good to see that when we start trying to help God solve our problems, the only thing we do is create more problems. Because Sarah realized uh, um, all that came out of this was a, was, was a thorn in the flesh uh, to, the, uh, to the seed of Abraham. So we don't have a problem to solve when God doesn't f- fulfill his promises. Fulfilling God's promises is God's job. If, it's, if we have to wait for a while, that's not our problem. Like John 8, 31 and 32 says, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. We just take one step at a time and continue to follow after him. That's all that we can do. Um, Brother Branham says in the, um, in the message, The reproach for the cause of the word. You know, just the difference in there. Sarah tried to give God a little bit of help by herself. She says, you know, I'm an old woman, but Hagar, here's a beautiful woman. Abraham won't mind marrying her, you know. That'll help God. Because Hagar, she's only 20 years old. She's my maid, and I'll, I'll give her to my husband for a wife because polygamy was legal, and she'll have a baby by my husband, and then I'll take the baby, and that's the one that God promised. It says, you see, we always try to do something. We can't wait for him. We got to do something ourselves. It says people are always trying to manufacture something to take the place of God's creative will. It says we're not supposed to manufacture the fruits of the Spirit. We, we bear them. The sheep doesn't manufacture wool. Wool is, is born by the sheep. What God does in us, he will, it, it, it will work out the fruit on its own. We don't have to be responsible for bringing that to pass. So as we kind of think about Sarai, as we kind of tell in the story, my suggestion is that I think she built up a complex gradual o- over time. I just want to zoom in for a little bit of, for a little while on um, on the different kinds of complexes that Brother Branham uh, talked about. He, he mentions uh, uh, eight, eight, eight or nine of them. He talks about uh, an inferiority complex where you think yeah, you're not as good as somebody else, and there are different ways you can go with the inferiority complex. Sometimes you have the I kind of. Some, sometimes it can become like the Jack Russell Terrier complex, the little dog who has to convince everybody that he's really, really big in, in, in anyway. So somebody who might not have, um, who, who, who might not be confident, be as skilled, might all of a sudden become more bossy and try to control the situation because they want to protect um, themselves because they really feel they are in, in, inferior. Brother Bram talks about that kind of a complex. You can have a, he says pride is a complex. Um, you can have a complex uh, um, men against women or uh, women against men. You can have a, have a complex like that. And he talks about one, uh, um, get a complex, how difficult it can be being different from the group. And that can, uh, that can build up a complex. He talks about a couple of uh, uh, twin, uh, twin Christian girls who both went, uh, from, who, uh, who both went to, a, to, to a school. There were a few, the, a few of the... Uh, just a few Christians there in the school, and the, and the peer pressure that was put upon these girls because they were different, the one twin could handle that better than the other twin. And the, and the other twin, she just gradually built up a complex because maybe I've got to do something to be like them, and, and it, just, it just drove her nuts. How difficult it can be to be different. And that can, and the, the, one of the great ways we can help with that is Show understanding. That's one of the ways God heals. God heals through lots of different ways, through music, one of the other ways, uh, through, through medicine. Brother Bram talks about God heals through understanding. Talk about that emotional pain that you can have. 
if you can feel that you're understood, that, takes, that can take that emotional pain largely away. And that gives you the strength to carry on. So if, you're, if your kid comes home, home from school all, all upset because they're the only ones this way or that way, we can be frustrated because why? I can't solve that. Why? But engage. Show understanding because that just might be enough to let that pressure off to give them the strength to carry on. There's a complex of fear. Um, uh, Brother Bram talked about a complex. Um, he doesn't use the word for it. Uh, skepticism is what I, I would call it. Um, he, he's, he's talking, he's, he's in, the, I think he's Phoenix or, or, or Tucson, but he's out there, I think, in the 60s, and he's at the Brother Outlaw's church, and he's saying, oh, you remember all the meetings we had back in the early days of the revival, back in probably the 40s, and just how God moved and things. And he says, you'd almost wish that we could be back there, didn't have to go through everything we've gone through to come up to this point. Because all those things you go through, it kind of does something to you sometimes. And it can make you hard on the inside, and you don't want that. Because it can build up a, a complex. I think the complex he's talking about is a complex of skepticism. Because this one raises up, and you go after them for a while, then they just the, that person falls, there's disappointment, then, you, then you, it goes again, deja vu, deja vu. And after a while, I think, yeah, I'm not gonna, God can try to be fulfilling something, but I'm going to keep it at arm's length for a really long time, because I can't get disappointed again. And if, we, if we're not careful, we can get this kind of skeptical attitude to truth or whatever God's doing, and we keep everything at arm's length. And the devil loves it when we keep truth at arm's length because it's not in our hearts yet. We can be listening to it and think a skeptic is always good at finding the, a couple reasons why something can't be exactly right. And you're always going to find places, things to criticize. And the skeptic will never accept anything wholeheartedly. He'll always be standing back and, I, I, I can't accept that. I can't accept that, accept that for this reason. He, just, he doesn't accept anything, which means he's not going to accept God's open arms either. And skepticism, it can, be a, it can be very reasonable to us because we think there are good reasons for not doing this, that, or the other thing. But we're also, we might be keeping God at arm's length also, and we don't want to do that. Brother Branham talks about how he himself developed a, a, a complex of uh, rejection because people weren't listening to his message and they weren't following him. And sometimes um, you can start getting that in your mind and um, think, yeah, people, people don't even like my ministry anymore, don't, don't like anything about me. And you, all that you see is the people who've criticized you or the people who've walked out of your meeting and you don't even see anymore the people who are really enjoying what's going on. And that is so powerful that if you're in a position of leadership, whether it be at your work or at your home, wherever it is, be careful if you feel like, because none of us like being rejected. None of us like that. And we'll, we'll start to think, oh, man, they don't like me. They don't like me. All we'll see is the rejection. And that will hamstring us. We won't do anything because we don't want to be rejected again. But we're, what we're missing is that there are a lot of people who actually do enjoy it, who actually are being blessed by what, what you're doing and being helped by what you're doing. But the devil wants you to focus on the negative because then if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you, I notice in myself, you just start seeing, you start feeling like about six months or seven months into the school year where you're just really tired. And then like somebody says this or that, they, they have their registration for for next year, hasn't come in yet, what's going on? And then you just, 
you start recognizing, oh, I'm starting to get negative. I'm starting to get negative. And that negativity is just a poison in your thoughts and your emotions. But what, pay attention to what, how, how the devil works with you because he does the same thing every time. And I, just, I have had to start realizing my wife's helped me. But when you can start, you see yourself starting going on this negative spiral, jump off of it. Because it's the same thing he does every single time. And it just poisons everything. If you see the devil's doing the same thing with you, jump off. You don't have to go down that path again. Remember, you've got the, the, the adverse event. Then what is your belief you're going to take about? Are you going to accept it or not? You're going to, do you want to jump off of that? Says, no, I don't want it. I'm not going to go down that way again. Not at all. Amen. You can get a grudge. <laughs> Grudges are very adverse events. You just accept a particular negative thought about a person. And now you don't want to have that uh, by any means. You just accept the negative thought. And when we accept that negative thought, we get in trouble. Because it just gradually builds, 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 and builds. Uh, I did a, uh, you know, all of us have a, uh, um, I was teaching in a, in a chapel service this last school year about how when we don't listen to our conscience, we just gradually do something again and again and again. Gradually, our, our conscience will, will, will harden. And I, and I showed the students a, a callus I have on my, uh, on, on, on my foot from where I played basketball. It's this nice big callus. I could take a needle. I could push it right into that callus. You don't feel a single thing because it's, it's all been built up, built up, built up. And when we, when we accept wrong, a false view of, of, of somebody or, or impute to them. Why are, why are they doing this particular thing about me? One way that complexes like to work is I, I say I can read their mind. I know why you're thinking, why, why you're looking at me that way. I know it. Yeah, I know what you're doing. I know why she never sends me a card. I know why she didn't return my text message. And she unfollowed me on Instagram. I know why she did that. She is jealous. And all of a sudden, You've got this mind-reading thing, and you're doing you're yes, you're giving yourself a superhuman gift that is drawing all kinds of conclusions that are patently false. And all it's doing, it's going to separate. Then you're going to start building. It's going to start hardening. So before too long, that particular area of your heart toward that person, you'd almost feel like I hope they have something really bad happens to them because you build this callus against them. And, there's, and you have no tenderness for them at all. Why? Because it starts as you accept a little thought about them. You just let that grow and grow. And you agree with the thought. Yeah, that's probably so. And one of the characteristics of, um, of complexes is that they will gnaw at you. They'll cause you to brood. I can remember back when I was working in the Netherlands, I, um, I was... Um, I was responsible for coordinating lots of work between different offices that were completing part of the production process. Well, my, my manager, he was a, a very highly driven type A personality perfectionist. Tough to work for. Because whenever I'd get, I'd complete a particular project, I was really proud of the work that I'd done. I thought I'd, complete, I'd satisfied the expectations. I started showing him going through the Excel sheet I'd made, and he just starts firing off questions I can't answer right away. I start blubbering, blubbering. I don't know what's going on. The end, 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 end of meeting, we're done. Stress level just goes up. And after a while, I just got so consumed. That I, I hated working for, 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 for the guy. I remember getting up in the morning, getting ready for work, brushing my teeth, washing your face off. I'd just be in tears. 
I couldn't. I couldn't. I was. I couldn't stand to go back to work. I was so anxious, nervous. I'd be riding my bike on 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 the way to work, and I would be thinking in my mind, "Okay, I'm going to go into the office there, and he's going to look at me and say, hey, got that job done.' And all of a sudden, and I'm going to say this to him. And he's going to respond back this way. And I'll do this. I'll do this. And I will be upset about something he has responded to that I haven't even said yet. I will be so mad on my bicycle." about a, a fictional conversation I am convinced is going to happen, but it did, never happened. I go in the office. He goes, hey, Rap, good morning. Want some coffee? And all the, everything I had built up, the reality I had built up in, in my mind was completely gone. But look at all the, what I'd put myself through by imputing, I, I, I could read his thoughts. I knew that he was being super critical of me. I, I, was, I was looking into the future saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. None of it was true, but I was living my life. I was ordering my thoughts based on a completely false, irrational view of reality. That's what complexes get us to do. We're getting, we're, we're, it's a terrible form of, it's a perverted form of faith because I am acting out a certain vision of the future that's completely wrong, but I'm acting in my mind as though it were true. And I can uh, uh, when Brother Branham tells the story of, 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 of Zacchaeus, I think it's a, uh, you can kind of see this happening with, with Zacchaeus. As, uh, he says that Zacchaeus had an inferiority complex. He says he tells the story of him, Zacchaeus' wife, whom Brother Branham names Rebecca, she starts going off to hear Jesus and Zacchaeus. He's like, what's she going to hear him for? Am I not good enough? What's she going off with all these other folks for and leaving me all by myself? I've provided for it, and she's leaving me. And, uh, and he's really worked up about it. And uh, Zacchaeus, he just says, uh, let's see here. Um, he's dramatizing here. Zacchaeus says, I know what I'm going to do. I know where Jesus is going to pass because he's going over there to Levinsky's restaurant. He's come down the street straight just to go that way and after he leaves this particular way and I'm going to go down that street and I'm going to wait for him right there because he's got to pass by that way and when he passes by, I'm going to tell him to his face. I'm going to speak my peace. And then off down the street he goes strutting that way and we know the story. Zacchaeus had this whole way, whole thing in his mind how it was going to be, and, Zac- and Jesus comes over. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to go to your house today. Zacchaeus's version of his altercation with Jesus was completely false. And then Jesus comes, this takes all the wind right out of it, and life could be changed. But Zacchaeus had to be willing to set his falsity of reality to the side when Jesus speaks to him, I'm going to come to your house today. How to, Jesus, he knew, what I, he, he knew what my name was. He, knew, he has to be willing to accept that. And then he could be changed. But one of the uh, key characteristics of complexes, they gnaw at you, cause you to brood, cause you to obsess. So if you notice that you're just obsessing about a particular thing, say, that should be a flashing red light. I am giving this particular situation, the circumstance, way too much time of day. It is sucking all the life out of other areas of my life. It's not good for me, not good for my family. This should be a red light. This is not God speaking to you right here. The devil is causing you to go this way so he can distract you from what God's actually doing. So be, be aware of how the devil moves in your life. You've got the, if you see, if you, if you notice obsessing, obsessing going on in your mind, hey, this isn't right. Let's talk about it tonight. 
where, help me husband, help me wife to see um, where, where, where God is actually working here. Another thing that, um, you know, just kind of talk about the behavior of complex, we talk about how they can gnaw at you, cause you to brood or obsess. Another characteristic of them, um, Brother Bram speaking in a prayer line here, and he uses the phrase how you've got that complex wrapped around you. And I just got to thinking, what kind of things do we wrap around ourselves? I kind of thought, oh, uh, uh, women sometimes will, will have a scarf wrapped around themselves, and, or a man, a tie is wrapped around ourselves. And sometimes a complex, a particular way that we see reality, or the way, the way that we see life, we wrap it around ourselves as, oh, yeah, this, I'm, I'm proud of this. This is, this is correct. This is part of my identity. This is exactly right. And Brother Bram is talking here to this, uh, this lady he's been praying for. And after he prays for her, he says, you feel different now, don't you, sister? Now you go home and be well now. Then the sister asks, do you believe I'll be well? Why, sure, certainly. Certainly I believe you'll be well. Sure. Amen. And he says, see, you've, you've got that complex wrapped around you. But the power of it broke just a few minutes ago. Just keep believing. Press right on. Go forward. Speak. And I think that's important. Uh, he shows us something here. She's gone for, up, up for prayer for whatever it was. And then she's not. And she goes forward praying because she believes that God will work through Brother Branham and, and she can be healed. She goes forward for prayer because of that. So she's acting in faith. And after she says, well, do you believe I'll be well? Sure. He's almost surprised by the question. But he says, what happened? I prayed for you. And You've got that thing wrapped around you, but the power of it broke. So a complex, which have it wrapped around us, kind of like a tie. I'm just going to take this off for just a minute. I've got this tie. And I've got it wrapped around me because I just, I, 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 I accept the lie of the devil so many times, I just wrap it around me, tie it in a knot. I make it a part of me, how I view the situation to be. But when we pray and God works in us, that it's, un, it's unknotted completely. And now the sister, after the prayer, she says, do you believe I'll be well? I'm sorry, sound folks. You know, this is just the right way to take your tie off in the middle of service, right? been prayed for she looks down am i really free he says you got that thing wrapped around you but the power of it broke just now in prayer he basically untied the knot but the old form of thinking is still there and i've got the there's a fuller quote of this He says, you've got that complex wrapped around you, but the power of it broke just a few minutes ago now. Just keep believing, press right on, go forward, speak by his stripes, I'm healed. It's, it's still right there. Um, she's got the ability, it's still right there, this old thinking pattern, these old thoughts. She has the ability to accept it and tie it back up again. But the power of it's broken, and that's why he says, take it off. Don't worry. Speak a different thing. By his stripes, I'm healed. 
go forward rejoicing, not obsessing why this or that isn't happening. Do something different. Live your life a different way. You've got to do that. The power of it broke. Take it off. Put the old thoughts aside. Accept God's truth instead. We wrap it around. It's become a part of us. We think it even looks nice. We would, we would fight and, and fight with people because this is exactly what we believe is true. We would feel threatened if someone spoke against it because this idea, this complex is a part of us. But the power of it broke. Be done with it. Put it aside. Take on a different uh, thought instead of that. talks about how complexes um, cause you to separate yourself from other people. Um, I, I like, he talks about people can educate themselves away from one another. They get complexes. But he says, you don't get any complex by the blood of Jesus Christ. You get love. You don't get any complex by the blood of Jesus Christ. And why do you have to have, in order to be having the blood of Jesus Christ in your life, you have to be looking at the cross, looking at Jesus. As long as you're looking at the other person, the things that, you think that they're thinking about you, that you think that they're doing to you. As long as you're looking at that, you, can't, you will build the complex. But if you put that to the side and look at Christ instead, Amen. that's how you would have freedom. Amen. You don't get any complexes by the blood of Jesus Christ. But complexes cause you to lose your, lose your feeling for the people. Brother Bram talks about that. And complexes, he says, that they thrive on attention. They love being, loving, love having that attention. Here he's talking about, uh, someone asks a question, how do I get away from a stubborn spirit that I can't seem to break away from? He says, I've been saved and I've been baptized, but how do I get away from a stubborn spirit? And he talks about the person and uh, looks at, uh, it might be a, a German parents, and uh, you kind of get this by, by nature. Sorry for any German descent here. But the things that we have in our family line, it's all kinds of ways that uh, each family has a particular way of responding to things that come up. And my, the, to that particular family, it's, partic- it's absolutely normal to respond that way. But then it was awesome when you get married, you get to learn how another family responds to things. Like, whoa, where did that come from? But it's also liberating because marriage can be a mirror so you can see, hey, maybe um, the way my family does things isn't as good as I thought it was. And we've got... And, it can be a way that God can work um, to help liberate, see, see, see complexes that we've built up that to us seem normal. We can inherit a complex. But he says, um, stubbornness is not of God. The only way to get away from that is for you to have faith to overcome it. That's if you're a Christian. He says, you are a son or daughter of God, whichever you be, whether a son or daughter, and you will never be able just to stand and rebuke that thing and rebuke it and rebuke it. It's just like tantalizing a rattlesnake. He's laying there ready to bite you. And the more attention you give that rattlesnake, the more angry he's going to get, the more attention you give him, it's going to bite you. He says the way to overcome it is to ignore it. It's to ignore it. So it's, uh, I can't imagine what would happen if my son, he's uh, 10 years old, so he's getting older, and he, every time he has a little bit disrespectful spirit, should I go up and say, you should not do that in the name of Jesus Christ, you stubborn spirit, disrespectful spirit, get out of him. That's going to tantalize that rattlesnake inside, but it'll get 10 times worse. you got to deal with it, um, but, um, but, when it, but sometimes it could be better to, to pass over some transgressions, not always, but uh, Brother Bram says, if you just ignore that rattlesnake, walk away from him, then he can't hurt you. And sometimes we can be giving all kinds of attention to particular uh, parts of our own makeup. And really, we should just 
ignore those negative thoughts when they come, or whatever thing that you might struggle with. But complexes thrive on attention. They wilt when they're ignored. And uh, Brother Bram talked, he gets the question, I've got a complex about something. Um, how should I overcome it? And he says, do the opposite. And I can remember one time, I was an uh, older teenager, and um, my dad is telling me, Rap, you've, uh, um, you're too stingy. You're, you're miserly. If you don't learn to spend your money, God will give you a wife to take care of the problem. You'd learn to, be, to, 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 to do better with that. Um, so I kind of thinking, Lord, how can you help me with this, this complex I have with money? So I actually went forward for prayer. And I, and there was an evangelist there, Brother Aaron McGeary. He said, I, I, I have this particular thing. I pray the Lord would help me. And he said, well, God tells you the opposite. And there's an evangelist who could use some money. Um, do the opposite and uh, giving it. But um, do the opposite. And you're, you're, doing, you're, you're used to a particular thought pattern, used to a particular way of responding to things. You don't want it. Do the opposite. And it might seem very, very um, um, almost fake at first because it's forced. But you have, go ahead and do that anyway. You have to do the opposite. We can talk a lot more about that, but the best part of, of complex is how can we get free from them? And kind of returning back to... Um, Abram and Sarah, as we try to try to close here, in Genesis chapter 16, if there's anybody in this account who would be the, the victim, I think about Hagar. She didn't ask to be put in the situation where she gets put into, but she gets there anyway. And there's always situations in, in our lives where, you know what, um, as, uh, as, as kids in a household, you can't, you can't, you can't have a whole lot of impact on if your families have argued, your parents have argued, if there's been a divorce or something. That's something that you had no impact on. But you're still stuck with the consequences of it. In that case, you could see almost there's a, there's a yeah, you're, you're, you're stuck. Um, and Hagar had that also. But um, and then, she, then she started developing a, a, a complex, but that's just because of the situation that she got put in without her own choice even. But let's just pick up um, our story in um, verse 5, chapters eight, uh, Genesis 16, verse 5. Sarah said to Abraham, we read this, My wrong be upon you. I have given my maid into your bosom. And when she saw that uh, she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, your maid's in your hand. Your problem, do what you want with it. And here you can see how tender Sarah might have been to Hagar in the past. Now Sarah becomes cruel and vindictive. How a complex can change our behavior. And Sarah finally, sorry, Hagar fled from her face. And if you just put yourself in, in Hagar's position, um, she's afraid, she's unhappy, she's a vulnerable, pregnant girl running from an abusive mistress. I mean, that doesn't get much worse for her. And she was not at fault at all. She just runs off into the wilderness. And what I think is beautiful here, you can see, we, we could look at Hagar and say, we just said she was stuck. But God didn't see her that way. Because the next verse in verse 7, it says, and the angel of the Lord found her. This is actually the first mention in the whole Bible of the angel of the Lord. 
God comes in this particular way to talk to this young girl who'd been mistreated, mishandled. She was, she's in a situation that was not of her own making. God came to her. And that's what God still loves to do. So if we feel like we're, if we feel like we're the one who's been mistreated, we feel like, 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 like we're the one who's got the short end of the stick. It's not our fault, but we've still got, we're stuck holding the bag. God's still in the business of sending his angel of the Lord to find. He doesn't leave his children lost. He goes out and finds her. And he finds her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And Shur means wall. I think that kind of shows what complexes do to us. This builds up walls all around us. That's what Hagar had. She did not see any way out. And um, it uh, shows that she has her back up against a wall. Um, complexes have you walling yourself in. That's the end result of, of complexes. It's beautiful that she doesn't go looking for God. God goes looking for her. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither will you go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And we don't see anywhere in this story, where we'll just read now these two verses, we don't see her praying. We don't see her, Lord, I'm stuck. I'm, I've been mistreated. I've been abused. Lord, help me. Will you please come and find me? We don't see her verbalizing anything. But I bet one thing she was doing, she was sobbing. I bet she was just desperate. John Wesley writes on this that tears speak as well as prayers. God saw the prayer of her heart, and sometimes we can't even voice. We, 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 we can be hurting so bad that we could try to pray, but nothing comes out. All we have is the sobs. I believe that God understands the language of our heart, even though we can't translate that into words. He came to Hagar. He came to her. And Brother Brandon talks about this in the message, Remembering the Lord. I imagine tonight that Hagar could have something to think about having a meeting with God too. When she had been put out, misunderstood. Now there's many of us here can think about Hagar, her being misunderstood. Who walks the right life with God? Who takes a straight and never way but knows what to be misunderstood means? I'm misunderstood. Every person, all your brethren that try to live right, you sisters, you're misunderstood. Your neighbors think you're some old model they try to throw off on you. Why don't you attend these societies? Why don't you have those card parties, these things? And you shun those things. You're misunderstood. They think that you're, you know, that, that you're trying to be better. They, they, they think you're trying to be exclusive. No, you're not trying that. You're, you're misunderstood. And that can be painful. And Brother Bram says, so was Hagar misunderstood. She had her child, little Ishmael. He's talked about a couple chapters further. It was the fruit of her womb from a legal marriage to her husband, Abraham. And she was a slave girl. She'd been given by her mistress, Sarai, to Abram, to wife, which polygamy was legal then. And she lawfully had married the man because she'd been given to him. She had borne the child just what their hopes were. There was nothing that the woman had done that was out of the way, that was wrong. And yet misunderstood by her mistress, and, he put her out into, and she put her out into the wilderness to die. What a place to be in. That's where she was. She was completely misunderstood. And what does the angel of the Lord tell her? Verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress. That is not what Hagar wanted to hear. She was hoping that the angel of the Lord would lead her back to her home in Egypt. But he led her back to 
Sarah and said, submit yourself to her hands. And here we see that sometimes God delivers us from a trial. We're completely pulled out of it and it's gone. He removes us from the trial. But he doesn't always do that. He didn't do that here with Hagar. Um, but if God doesn't deliver us in the trial, he does sustain us in the trial. That he always promises to do, and he will do it. And that's what he does to Hagar here. Because he gives her a promise. And this is really important. Why was Hagar able to be freed from her complexes here? Because he gives her a promise that she can put her thoughts on, that she can keep in front of her, she can keep that promise to her. It's not just Abraham and Sarah who have a promise. She has a promise too. And whenever she feels down or discouraged, she can get that, pro- that memory out and run over it as I've got a promise too. God cares for me. He's going to care for my son. He's going to take care of me. Keep that in front of you also. And he does that. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall be not numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, thou art with child. You shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, which means the Lord hears. God heard her, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So he's given her this promise that shows God hears me. If you, if, if you have a complaint and you feel like you can never your complaint can never really receive a hearing. You feel like you're rejected. You're not taken seriously. You're pushed off to the side. But here, Hagar had been heard. And that can take that, 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 that pain that she had felt, somebody heard me. Somebody understood me. My situation has not changed. But the pain is I've been sustained because God heard me. God sustained me. So by focusing on God's promise in her affliction and also in future afflictions, Hagar didn't need to rush to other conclusions to explain her situation. She could just trust. And I love this. This place is, became um, called Bir Laharoi. That's the well was called that. It's between Kadesh and um, Birid, and Hagar bore the son, and, uh, and that's when Abraham was 86 years old. But um, this is not the only time in the Bible where you see this particular well being spoken of, Bir Laharoi, which means that God seest me. And whenever we, and Brother Bram talks about that when we, when we come into situations where we're dealing with difficulties or in pain or, 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 or struggling, we want to find that place where we know God sees us. Because when we know that God sees us, God hears us, that can take the, take the pain out of the trial, that can sustain us. And that's what... Uh, that's what she did. And Brother Bram talks about, what a spring of refreshment, Bir Laharoi, the well of him that liveth and seeth me, him that can't die, Melchizedek, El Shaddai, him that liveth and seeth me, knowing my needs, he's remembered me. And there he remembered me as I remembered him, and I know that he lives and he's sprung up in my heart. And that's, uh, we want to, if we can come to that place where we know that God remembers us, that makes all the difference to us. And how do we go forward? And maybe the musicians can come here. Um, Brother Branham, in the message restoration of the bride tree, he talks about what a strain uh, it is to have people coming and 
um, and pulling on them. He says, oh, and then we and we also hit little strains, little disappointments. You have expectations that are certain this, and it doesn't turn out that way. And that could be that just a, a strain, a, a, a stress. And he thinks, says, think of the ones that I have, the disappointments that I have when sick mothers are on the phone and. And Brother Brandon, would you pray? Um, come and come and come and pray. Just pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll send Brother Brandon. And, and he he couldn't meet all those needs. And he said, I just hung up the phone from another one, all around the world. And it's, it's like this, and uh, just such a such a strain. He says, No wonder I'm a neurotic. It's enough to make one. And, the, and we can get this in our own lives. I'm not sure what professions we have represented here, but there are such needs in the world today. If you can be a doctor or a, or a nurse and you're just confronted every single time with the, the, the uh, opioid epidemic or dysfunctional homes and, or you see that in, in neighbors, and it's, it's so discouraging. Whether You wish you could help, but it can be such a strain. He says that. It's enough to make you a neurotic. But he says, I have done this one thing instead of getting a complex. So here, I'm at this point where I, I've got this adversity in my life. I, I could make it, I, I could take one thought and develop a complex, or I could do something else instead of that and not get a complex. What does he say? Instead of getting a complex, I've tried to hold steady by keeping my eyes on Calvary and moving on just as he would have. And many of my mistakes, I pray that God will forgive me of them. Maybe I should have went one way, it didn't go. I'm just human, I can, but subject to mistakes. But that one thing I can do, instead of getting a complex, keeping your eye on Calvary. Because remember, when we look at each other, yeah, there's not a whole lot of good in, each, in, in, in us. We have to be realistic about ourselves. But if we look at Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't give complexes. We look at each other, Paul looks at himself in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. There's no good in me, no good thing in me. That's why there's strains and stresses among us, because we've got this old cocklebur nature. But don't look at the cocklebur nature. Look at the seed of God in your brother and sister. Look at the Spirit of God, what He's trying to do. Look at Calvary. That's the only way that we can go on in this life and avoid the complexes. Amen. Maybe we can stand. The song I had to sing was Be It Unto Me According to Your Word. I had it written down. I don't know if you read it or not. So we had. Be it unto me according to thy word. I want, I want to focus on God's word. That I can be ordering my thoughts upon that. If I order my thoughts upon my word, there'll be all these situations that are fictional, never happen anyway, just cause me pain and suffering and stress, but order my life on God's word. Amen. Let's sing it out. Be it unto me
chastise and correct me a little bit this morning you know being one of those people I, was, I couldn't help but sit back there and I was thinking being one of those personalities I, I don't know if it's type A, B, C, D whatever it might be but one of those people that really just likes everybody and, and wants everybody to like them being a room of a hundred people 99 like you one not like you you tend to forget about the 99 and focus on that one person being that type of person, sometimes your feelings gets hurt. And when you really shouldn't. 
And then you start thinking about it. And then, you, like he said, you start doing things to try to do God's job for him. And it never fails. 48 years old, and I can't tell you how many times that I've tried to do things better than God. And I end up flat on my back. The only thing I can do is look up say, Okay, Lord, here we go again. Where I find out that really and truly it's all in His hands. I can't do anything without Him. But I am so thankful that He cares enough for me to send me little messages and things like that. He thought so much of that little lady, Hagar. Wasn't even really part of of, uh, Abraham's lineage there. But he thought so much of her that he went to her. He went looking for her. I just love him, don't you? And I'm so thankful that that he's got everything under control. And I just wanted to sing this song as we as we leave this morning. I just ask you to remember me in prayer this week. I'm actually going to be gone on a quite lengthy trip heading out, out onto the uh, West Coast and uh, be gone a couple of weeks. So I just ask you to uh, remember me in prayer. Um, things is really crazy out there. I mean, they're really crazy here. But when you get out and you you really get a get to see you know firsthand that this world is falling apart it really is and i just appreciate each and every one of you remember each other in prayer remember brother barry as he's going to be uh traveling back after their meetings let's sing this lord i can't even walk without you holding my And the valleys to wide down on my knees, I learn to stand, and I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Surely be me. I thought I could be what I wanted to be. I thought I could be all life sinking sand, but I can't hear. Without you holding my hand. Now let's sing that third verse here. I thought I had done a lot on my own. I thought I could make it all alone. Oh, I thought of myself 
as a mighty big man. Oh, but I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Oh, let's just sing it out to him now. Oh, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountain's too high and the valley's too wide. Down on my knees, I learn to stand and I on my knees Oh, it's down on my knees That's where I learn how to stand Because I can't even walk Sing that again Oh, Lord, I can't even walk Lord, I Amen. Brother Rep, certainly appreciate you being here with us this weekend. Uh, we'll be praying for you to have a safe trip back. And, and um, we'll just keep you in prayers also that God will continue to, to bless your ministry. I've just, I've just been thoroughly blessed this morning, and I certainly appreciate that. Let's sing this song as y'all are dismissed. I'm amazed that you love me. Y'all have a wonderful week. God bless each and every one of you. I'm amazed that you love me. I'm amazed how you care. Through your precious blood, I found part of. And my sins are washed. They're all. I tried so hard to hide Though I laughed and said my life was fine without you I was covering up the secret tears I cried Then one day someone told me of your mercy and the love you showed on a hill called Calvary There you died Thank you, Jesus. When you broke sin's power and set 
my spirit free. Oh, I'm amazed that you love me. I'm amazed how you care for your precious blood. I found pardon and my sins are washed they're all washed away all my sins are washed away yes it's true there've been days when I've failed you Lord, you know the many times I've gone astray, but I've learned your love is stronger than my weakness, and your ear is open every time I pray. No one else has ever cared for me like you, Lord. Other friends can never be as close to me. Hallelujah. I'm not afraid to face the problems of tomorrow. Knowing you are everything I'll ever need. I'm amazed that you 